Thank you, Grant. It's a longer reading, but it's a powerful one in many ways. It's theologically rich. It has a depth to it, not expressed in long words, but in some powerful thoughts. But also it's deeply moving as, a, as Jesus engages with the realities of life. You may be aware that unlike um, Matthew, Mark and Luke, the other three Gospels that focus largely on Jesus' ministry to the northern area around Galilee and his home base in Capernaum, John's Gospel has a distinctive way of shaping the Gospel around seven stories and with the seven stories, seven signs that reflect a significant truth about Jesus. The first of those stories is the story of Jesus turning the water into the wine at a wedding. The last of the stories is Jesus raising Lazarus at a funeral. That reflects something of the breadth of Jesus' engagement with the realities of life, of baptisms, weddings, and of funerals. As John reflects on those events... He doesn't use the regular word for miracles. He uses the word sign because it's not just highlighting Jesus' amazing power to do truly awesome things and to bring someone out of the tomb is pretty awesome. But each of them is tied to a deeper truth. It's a signpost. In the earlier ones, we have Jesus as the water of life, Jesus as the light of the world, Jesus as the bread. And here we see Jesus as the resurrection and the life. I don't want to distract from the narrative itself, so I'm just going to paint a little bit of the background and highlight a few of its features. First of all, the location is um, Bethany. And confusingly, um, Jesus travels from What's told to us is the place where John had been baptising, which is also called Bethany, but it's another Bethany, Bethany over the Jordan. But Jesus had withdrawn there, crossed the Jordan, and uh, hears news about the illness of his one who's named as a friend, one who he loves. And when Jesus heard about it, he says, this sickness will not end in death, but it is for the glory of God so that the Son of God may be glorified through it. Now, when John tells these long stories, he's not just giving a, a snapshot about different episodes in the life of Jesus that are just of interest. When John uses a phrase, so that, it means that God is at work in this action. And God is communicating something about his greater mission and the way in which he is engaging with the world more broadly and that is why this particular episode was to occur now it assures us that Jesus loved Martha and his sister Mary and Lazarus which makes the next line rather extraordinary having heard about that Lazarus was sick he doesn't drop everything and go to be with them but says he stayed two more days in the place where he was why would Jesus say, yes, I love you, but I'm not going to come now? There is a greater purpose that is revealed through the breadth of the narrative. The greater purpose is that Jesus knew at this stage that Lazarus was already dead. 
his arrival actually wouldn't have changed anything by the time he got there. But more to the point, there had to be absolutely no doubt that when Lazarus was brought from the tomb, he was well and truly dead. So as it goes on, after the two days, Jesus then says to his disciples, let's go to Judea again. Now the disciples point out that last time Jesus had been in Jerusalem around Judea hadn't ended well. He had so riled the, uh, the leaders that they sought to stone him. And they said, Lord, you want to go back there again? Isn't that a threat? And the reply of Jesus when he talks about aren't there 12 hours in a day is again a significant statement to say now is the right time. Jesus' metaphor is saying there is a right time to walk, daytime, you won't stumble as much, and there's a time when it's not right to walk, in the dark when you'll stumble. He's saying now is the right time. There's a subtle but a significant switch happening in these episodes. John has recounted seven stories, seven signs that culminates with this story. This is the turning point in John's Gospel. Jesus is now moving from an earlier stage where John is saying, now is not the time. He says, the time isn't upon us just yet, not yet. And now John says, the clock is ticked over. Now is the time for this journey to Jerusalem and all that it brings by way of Jesus' betrayal and his um, unjust treatment, his beating and his death and resurrection. Now is the time he is confident that he's stepping into the will of his father. Now the road to um, Bethany comes from Jericho. It comes up through a steep incline through some desert space. And Martha heard that Jesus was coming. So she went outside the village. She left Mary because they were in the midst of a grieving process. In the world of that day, the ancient Near Eastern world, Uh, On the day of death, someone was buried straight away within 24 hours. And then for six days after that, the household would play host to family and friends who would come and share a meal, and they would sit and grieve together. So Martha leaves Mary to play host to the guests in their home, and she runs forward to meet Jesus privately. And she has a very honest uh, question but also a deeper confidence in Jesus. She says, Lord, if you'd been here, my brother wouldn't have died. And you expresses it in the form of a question. It's almost a a why, Lord? Yet, she says, even now I know that whatever you ask from God, God will give you. I don't know what's going on, she implies, but I trust you in that space. Jesus speaks to her directly and says, your brother will rise again. And she assumes that Jesus is talking about the resurrection in the last day. Last day. So in the faith of Israel, the faith of the Jews at that time, there will be a day in the future when all those who have died, always one would rise up and enter into the, the resurrected life. So Malpha says to Jesus, I know that he'll rise again in the resurrection at the last day, but I'm missing him here and now. That's sort of implied. Jesus replies to her. And this is where John drops profound understanding of Jesus and of God's purposes through a very simple but powerful statement. 
I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me, even if he dies, will live. The final of these signs, the seventh sign, is highlighting this incredible truth about Jesus. Resurrection and life are not exactly the same, but they overlap quite a bit. Resurrection is to receive life after having died, being raised up again. But the life that is received is something even greater than that. Those who die believing in Jesus and the faith that Jesus was about the the mission of God will rise never to die again. That is the life part of it. They will be raised to a quality of life that is heavenly and to an endurance of life that is eternal. Jesus says, I am the resurrection and the life. We need to stop and think about that for a moment. It's an incredible claim. Who else could claim to be, I am the resurrection and the life? The only reason that this has any credibility wasn't just that Jesus shows an extraordinary power in bringing Lazarus back from the dead, but Jesus himself went to the cross and demonstrated that the Father was indeed working in and through Jesus by his own death and resurrection. So we come to the promise, the question, everyone who lives and believes in me will never die. And the question that's really challenged me, I've sat with this all week, do you believe this? This is a life-changing promise extraordinary promise i want to believe this the statistics concerning death as george bernard shaw once said are very impressive 100 percent of people die that is a reality we know it's the truth and it's one of which sits with all of us in different stages and different moments sometimes it's unexpected sometimes it's a process All those questions. And it is a shadow, it is a reality that we can't ignore. And it impacts all of us. It impacts us as families, it impacts us with friends and neighbours. Jesus is saying, but it's not the end. It's not the final chapter. There is life beyond this physical death that exceeds anything that we've experienced here and now. I so want to believe that. And I would struggle to believe that if anyone else made that promise to me. I don't care how good the advertising might be of anyone offered that promise. doesn't matter how impressive they may be as a teacher or as a, a climber or an adventurer. If anyone else made me that promise, I'd say, yeah, no, I don't believe it. The only reason I have confidence is when I examine the life, the death, and the resurrection of Jesus, which changes everything. Do you believe this? We need to ask ourselves that question. Well, I do a bit of a tag team. Mary returns to the household. Mary, sorry, Martha returns to the household. Mary heard about this and she got up quickly and went to see Jesus. 
Jesus had not yet come into the village, but was still in the place where Martha had met him. But this time, it's not a private exchange as it was between Martha and Jesus. Now it's a public exchange because those who were with Jesus, sorry, with Mary in the household, got up with her, thinking she's going to the graveside, and they followed as well. So this is now becomes a more of a public event. And as soon as Mary came to where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet and told him, Lord, if you had been here, my brother wouldn't have died. You could have changed this. Again, that same raw question. And the exchange here moves between profound insight into the character of God together with an expression of the most moving experiences we have in life. I think the experiences of Joy at birth is beyond words. As we look at a child and I think, this is amazing, this is a miracle. And the experience of grief as someone that we love has gone. Jesus enters into that space. When Jesus saw her crying and the Jews who had come with her crying. Now, John's helping us to understand why Jesus is so moved. It's not because of Lazarus' death in itself. If it was just Lazarus' death, you'd think Jesus would have a bit of a knowing look on his face and saying, look, you haven't seen anything yet. I'm about to do something amazing. But that's not how Jesus presents. Jesus saw their grief, their sadness, their sorrow, and it moved him deeply. We're told that Jesus was deeply moved in his spirit, his inner being, from the depth of who he is, and troubled. The word for troubled is actually the word for agitated. Jesus was restless and agitated by this reality that he was witnessing. It's the word that was used of a horse. You know if a horse senses that trouble is coming? Um, perhaps some smoke for a bushfire and horses get restless and agitated? That's the word that's used here of Jesus. It's really getting to him. So he says, where have you put him? He asked. Lord, they told him, come and see. The next verse is the shortest verse in the Bible. Two words, but one of the most powerful statements that does my head in to reflect on. Jesus wept and it's not just a quiet little tear around the edges it's actually conveyed in the sense that Jesus burst into tears those times when we go through the realities of life perhaps we're depressed perhaps we're anxious perhaps we are grieving and we ask where is God is God distant does God care is answered by this verse. God cares deeply. God is not holding himself at a distance. The Greeks had a notion of God that didn't feel any emotions. They prided themselves on it. A self-strong um, leader who can hold emotion and distress at a distance. They regarded apathy, apatheia, as a quality. And so they paraded their gods who... Don't get moved by these emotions. This is not the God revealed in Jesus. When Jesus weeps, God weeps. And these tears come at a cost. These tears are the tears that drive 
that promise that Jesus had mentioned earlier, God so loved the world that he sent his son. These are the tears that sent Jesus to his death and his resurrection. These are costly tears. Jesus wept. God weeps. And so Jesus, still in that state, comes to the graveside, deeply moved again, came to the tomb. It was a cave and there was a stone lying against it. He says, remove the stone. And suddenly it almost becomes comical. Martha says, oh, Lord, um, he's been dead for four days. He's starting to decompose. It would be smelly to remove that. This is why the four days are so significant. There is no doubt that Lazarus had died. Had it been four minutes, you'd say, oh, he's been revived. Had it been four hours, you think, well, that's pretty incredible, but I suppose it's not beyond the realm of reason. But four days, there is no doubt that Lazarus was well and truly dead. So he has to make sure when he calls out, Lazarus, come out. If he said, come out, generally, that all the tombs would have opened and had people coming out. No, it was just Lazarus. Lazarus, come out. Had one occasion, was doing a children's talk, and our youth worker at the time in another church had been wrapped in toilet paper and in the sanctuary. And that moment we called, Lazarus, come out, suddenly the door burst open and he came out covered in toilet paper. One of those moments you never forget. Lord, Jesus responded to the question, didn't I tell you? If you, believed, you, if you believed, you would see the glory of God. What is the glory of God? When God does what God does, it is good. When what God does because he cares and he loves and he weeps, it is glorious and it makes all the difference in the world. So we want to sit with that statement. Do we believe? the promises we reach out for. Why would we believe? It's only because of what we observe around the story of Jesus, the credibility of his own death, the astonishing news of his resurrection that is so well testimented that over 500 people said it's true. And so we join those who believe. John concludes his episode with many of the Jews who came to Mary now saw what he did and believed in him. They joined a movement around Jesus at that time. And that movement continues in today's world. Jenna and I were quite moved this morning. We were reading an account of the Bible Society in the Ukraine. These are Ukrainian-based believers who said there has never been such demand for copies of the Bible. Half a million copies of the Bible have been distributed from Kiev to people wanting to find light in their darkness. A chaplain from the Bible Society has been in the front lines of the troops, praying with them and giving them a special edition of the Gospels about Jesus. They know the realities of life and of death and of darkness and recognise a light unlike any others. There have been people who have been part of this church community for many years before us, in May, we'll be celebrating the 175th birthday of our church. That precedes even my time. I was here for the 150, mind you. 
People have come before us. We are a community of faith now. And we pray in God's grace the next generation will come into faith and grow into that. But this is a faith that is bigger from any generation, any time, in any place. But let us have that picture of Jesus weeping because of our grief and the realities that overwhelm us in life. His tears led to action that are truly life-changing. Amen.